Hello, and we are back. We are back in my Energy Game podcast. And today, exciting, exciting news. We've got Richard Girva. Richard Girva, who is one of our experts, one of our dearest friends, and he's a speaker, author, and expert in human leadership. How are you, Richard? Hi, Edu. It's great to be back. And honestly, anytime anyone introduces me like that, I'm happy to come back every week. You oh, well. just raise my self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're going to be back every week then, Richard. <laughs> Listen, um, we've been talking about this one and, and I'm really excited. I mean, we've called it Learn From Change. So probably the first question that comes into my mind is, Richard, what have you learned from obviously COVID and what COVID has teach taught you about change so far you know i mean it it so much so much stuff and i think it's really important that as we think about covid as as hopefully the world starts to come out of it i think it's really important we all reflect a little bit of the, on the positives we've learned from the human experience around change and for me it's reinforced so much about what i believed around change first of all that change is first and foremost a human experience. We spend too much time looking at uh, designing systems and structures to change stuff and forget that actually fundamentally it's about a human experience and a human reflex and a human response. So for example, with COVID, as, as you said very kindly in, in your introduction, I earn most of my living from being a professional speaker, luckily enough traveling around the world, standing on stages. Well. That's not happened since last March. Yeah. And I remember sitting in my office where I'm talking to you now, watching um, as my events skittled like dominoes. They just fell over, you know, emails were coming in. Sorry, it's canceled. It's not going to happen. It's going to And I remember going through phases of emotional responses to that process, right? The first was paralysis. Um, I just kind of, it was like, nothing was going in, nothing was happening, nothing, um, I couldn't absorb information. And in a way, I think what's really important about me describing this, particularly for coaches and athletes listening to this, is if you're being asked to do something you don't feel in control of, these are often the same reflexes you'll feel. So that first one is kind of a state of shock, right? So we all need to understand that if you're asking somebody to change or do something differently from the way they've done it before, you first of all have to give them a chance to just let it settle. Because if you start battering them with information, it's just going to bounce off. Now, after that first phase of paralysis, a lot of people move into a kind of denial. And again, my guess is you'll see this a lot with, with athletes that you're training. You know, you might say, look, we need you to shift this or look at your balance or, and they may go, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And this is why I don't need this. You know, I've been doing this for years. I know how to play my game. I know how to do my thing. Leave me alone. Right. And they go into a dinner and they go home and they rant about it. You're not going to believe what Edu asked me to do today. Have you been talking to my players, Richard? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Edu, I'm everywhere. Right. But this is such a familiar. But what I'm trying to explain is this isn't down. This is um. this is a human experience. Right. And actually, it's something common in all of us, no matter what the situation. You know, with me and COVID, I went into denial. Oh, it's not going to be that serious. My job will bounce back really quickly. Why do I need to shift to online? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's the same experience. 
The third phase after denial is a really interesting one because when that still doesn't make you personally feel reassured that everything's going to be okay, and I guess you begin to realize there's an inevitability to the change that needs to happen, you, a lot of people become angry. And again, you might see this, particularly at any elite level, where an athlete starts to take it personally and they become angry and they blame the coach, they blame their teammates, they blame the, the training conditions, they blame... So the thing is, you, we start to transfer into an anger. And again, what's really important, I think, for coaches to understand is you have to sometimes allow this cycle to occur because it doesn't mean that athletes are bad. It doesn't mean they're uncoachable. It doesn't mean they're arsy. What it means is you just have to help them through the process, right? Now, the fourth and final, if you like, decline stage to the emotional response to change is in many ways the most difficult because the first three really are designed internally to try and help us find a sense of control. Because the problem with change is when we feel it's something that's being done to us, right? We become resentful. That's where the paralysis, the denial, the anger comes from. And when you keep scrabbling to find control, so it's something you can be in charge of and you still can't get there. So COVID is the great example because no matter what most of us have done, we still don't feel in control of it ourselves on a Absolutely. human level. The final dangerous phase is one of mild depression. It's almost like you give up, like a listlessness. And again, I would imagine this is familiar to so many people through the lived COVID experience, let alone the professional experience, where you get to a point where you, you lose hope because you think, actually, I've tried everything. I don't feel better and I don't feel in control. So now I feel like a victim. I feel like no matter what happens, it's going to be done to me. And that's where you lose the passion. The passion bleeds out. The self-belief bleeds out. And I think the really important thing, so first of all on reflection, and this has been a very long-winded answer, Edu, is... I'm loving it. <laughs> we have to recognize those first four phases, but then we have to understand there's a potential magic answer at the end of it, right? And the magic answer really comes from young children, which is part of my very first career and background, because young children deal with change incredibly well. For anyone listening to this that has a young child in the family or has had a young child will recognize this, right? Kids under five love change. In fact, they get bored if they have to do the same thing in the same way twice in an hour. Um, and I'm yet to meet an 18-month-old child, by the way, who's undergoing therapy because they can't cope with the rate of change in their life. So what is it that makes it better for them? Well, one of the main things is that they're incredibly curious, right? They're always questioning the world. They're always questioning where they are, what they are. Why are we doing this? What's this? What's happening here? Why, what could we do? What's through that door? What happens if we go down that direction, right? So the antidote to those first four stages of kind of feeling victimized in a change process is to spark curiosity to enable yourself to ask questions, to take interest in. So with me and COVID, I got to a point where I thought, okay, well, I'm not gonna be able to stand on a stage anywhere in the world for a very long time. How can I do my job 
instead. Let's look at digital technology. What's out there? What can I learn that's new? What can I take on board that's different? And because you're shifting and because you're using your creativity, you're asking questions, there's a mental shift. Suddenly you stop feeling like a victim and you start to feel like an active participant. And in many ways, that's one of the most important things about engaging in change process. Too often, too many people feel like victims of change. And what you need is to get them feeling like active participants. That is very interesting. But listening to you though, Richard, I'll hit you with another question. What if what you the change actually increases fear or increases resistance because you feel that what you are going to lose is too big i mean it's something that you know that you've been earning for so long so for example in athletes world um wow i mean this new manager is not playing me or i'm i might lose my contract i might lose my career with covid i might lose my career i might not be able to get the second contract what mm. if that that change represents something which is really, really deep fear in you. Again, I mean, I come back, I think you're absolutely right. And it can be deeply profound. You know, I, I do a lot of work in professional cricket and, and a lot like um, football. It's an incredibly precarious job. Um, you know, people's contracts tend to have a maximum of three years, maximum. Um, if they don't perform, it's as clinical as you're out because there's millions of other people waiting. And of course, the challenge often comes in professional cricket. And I'm, I'm guessing the same in football. As you come to that last year, of your contract and let's say you're not playing or let's say there is a new manager um, actually what starts to happen then is you lose focus on your own performance and development and you start to obsess with losing what you have now it's a very familiar again what's really important for people to understand is that's not unique and if people feel that way they need to understand that pretty much everybody's feeling that way it takes a very rare person in any high performance field to not at some point in their career feel that every every time they're coming towards contract negotiation or what have you that the thing for me again is to go back to what I've just said, which is when you start to feel that way is first of all know you're feeling that way and know the answer lies in being uh, exploratory. So for example, the scenario you gave right there's a new manager coming in. What I'd be doing is doing as much research as I possibly could into that manager, the way they like to play. Um, maybe seeing if I've got an, in my network people that have been coached by them before. What do they expect? What are they looking for? How, you know, what, what, so actually the minute you start to just question and you start to activate interest, it shifts your focus because the problem is with anyone and particularly an athlete coming to the end of their contract, they are going to feel like a victim. It's not up to me. The coach is going to decide. The board will decide. My agent will decide. There's a million and one people except me. And the truth is the minute you start to feel that way, everything's going to fall apart. What you have to do is go, actually, it is still fundamentally up to me. If I learn what needs to be done and I feel it's something I know I can do, I'm instantly back in control. I'm in the room. I'm in the game. What you don't want is people to check out and just wait for it to happen to them. So it's really important that people don't regard change as passive. And when they start to feel that way, they do something about it to become active in the process. And the minute you become active in the process, 
and then you spark that curiosity like a child, then is when you probably feel a little bit more in control. And is exactly. that and, and is that control that kind of like energy you need to feel a bit more balanced and feel that you can tackle it and feel that okay, my you know, this change is definitely creating some discomfort, but I can deal with it. Yeah, but also, you know, that's absolutely right. But the other thing people need to remember, and I think we touched on this in the last podcast we talked about, right, that actually discomfort is good. Um, you know, one of the things we need to remember is we only ever truly develop when we're out of our comfort zone. The danger too often for athletes with change is once you find your groove, once you find your rhythm, once you find a way of doing something, you tend to stick at it and you tend to think, right, now I've, I'm just going to do what I've always done because this is the way forward. And of course, the one thing we know about elite sport and actually elite performance in any sector or industry is if you stand still, you'll be dead because actually there's always somebody who's going to, I remember Dave Brailsford, who was the um, team GB cycle coach when uh, the GB team won all of those medals in the 2012 Olympics. Sure. He was also remember the head of team sky when they dominated the tour de France. And I remember having dinner with Dave once not long after the 2012 Olympics and he said, you know, Richard, 2012 was easy in terms of my challenge. 2016 is going to be way tougher. He said, because I'm going to have a group of athletes who are going to come back into training in the next few weeks for the next Olympic cycle with gold medals around their necks. And what they're going to want to mm -hmm. do is lock down and continue to work the way we worked leading up to 2012 because it was a winning formula. And he said, I know for a fact that particularly the Australians who were really put out by the fact that GB dominated those Olympics, have gone back to the Institute of Sport in Australia, they've ripped up the rule book, and they are reinventing the game. And if all we do is prepare the way we prepared for 2012, we won't stand a chance. And actually, he said, that is the greatest challenge that I have got to convince my coaches and my athletes that now is the time we've got to step out of our comfort zone. And if it hurts a little bit, and for the first couple of years in the Olympic cycle, we kind of go backwards, that's okay, because it means we're learning. So are we saying then that probably one of the fundamental ingredients of that winning formula is learn from change? Absolutely. You know, let's look at Alex Ferguson for a minute and reflect on why he had the longevity and incredible success he did. I mean, there were many reasons, right? But one of them was he kept changing his assistant manager. And why did he keep changing his assistant manager? Because he constantly wanted an influx of new ideas and he himself wanted to be challenged. You know, so when he brought Steve McLaren in from Derby all those years ago, right? He, he was Jim Smith's um, head coach at Derby and then he moved to Manchester. The reason he bought McLaren in was because McLaren was using new technologies in a way that no other coach was. And although Ferguson's always been seen as a bit of, you know, the old school, actually what Ferguson knew was, I need to find the youngest coach who is going to challenge me and push me out of my comfort zone the most in order to understand how we improve. And I think that's the really important thing. You know, success hurts. Success is not easy. And people who have sustained track records of success are people that have the same level of curiosity as a five-year-old. They're always going, that's interesting. What's that? 
what can I do with that? How can I use that to be better than I am already? And when you look at true champions, that's the other thing you notice about them all. They are deeply, deeply restless souls, right? I mean, why did Tom Brady leave the Patriots and go to the Bucks and win the Super Bowl for a seventh mm. time? Because the guy at the end of every season goes, I need to change what I do to be better. And the ultimate sacrifice was I'm going to leave the team I've won six Super Bowl rings with and go to a brand new team who aren't that great. And that's because I need to set myself a new challenge in order to stay at the top of my game. So, you know, it's about risk. It's about pain. But the truth is we need to reframe the way we see those things, right? If you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling it's a little bit painful, then that means it's working, Edu. If you if you go into training every day and you go, yeah, same old, same old, I'm in my comfort zone, that's when you should be shitting yourself. I tell you what, Richard, if our audience are feeling so energetic and so bubbly as I am feeling right now, I mean, we've done the trick here because the statement, the thought that comes into my mind right now is I welcome change. Give me change. Bingo. <laughs> give, 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 give me as much change as you want. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to learn through it and I'm, I'm going to be successful with it. Um, and I suppose is just to finish off, I th I, you've been saying this a few times and I love when you say th those things about, you know, going back to being a five-year-old. So I suppose it's, it's just finding that inner child. It's just sometimes society and, and everything that goes around us have kind of make us forget about that five-year-old child and, and, and how important it is, right? To just find that inner child and say, yes, I just want to explore. I just want to discover. I just give it to me, right? Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly the point, Edu. You know, for a five-year-old, failure is an opportunity to learn. They don't see it as bad. They don't feel they've got to um, engage in self-protection and, and I'm going to do what I've, you know, no five-year-old goes, right, I, I'm, I'm a successful five-year-old because this is how <laughs> I've done it, right? They that's not how, so I'm going to stick with that. What they're thinking all the time is, that's interesting, that's new. How? Oh, what's that? How do I do that? What's, and actually, that's the mentality we need to have. And again, you know, those people I've met who are, have been at the top of their game for years, some, I mean, some of the, the people I've met, I've been lucky enough to meet, are the top of their, have been at the top of their games for years and years and years. And why, one of the things they all have in common is they all have a childlike quality. I remember years ago, um, getting 20 minutes on Zoom, actually, before Zoom became fashionable, <laughs> to interview Jay-Z for a book, right? Sure. Now, I had 20 minutes, because just getting that interview was a coup. Right. And that his people were going, no, you have 20 minutes. I said, OK, fine. Well, what was really interesting was that all Jay-Z wanted to do was ask about me. And all oh, that's interesting. How did you go from doing that to doing that? And I went, Jay-Z, look, with all due respect, mate, I've got 20 minutes. And if you want to talk about me, we'll go for a beer. But I've got so I had to. But the point was. All he wanted to do was find out about me. He was interested because he knew it would help him grow and yeah. see the world differently. So that restlessness, that childlike curiosity for many people, and, and certainly in my experience, defines those people that have attained lifelong success. Well, I hope our listeners have loved this conversation as much as I have. I mean, learn from change. I mean, if after these 20 minutes, 
people are not embracing change. People are not excited about change. I don't know how they can feel, honestly. Thank you so <laughs> much, Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure, Edu. It's been an honor to be with you again. Take care. Thank you. Take care.